Welcome back, guys, for your latest episode of Boots of TV. I'm your host, as always, Del, and I'm joined again today by my good friend and diehard Norwich fan, Roche. How you doing, Roche? You all right, man? I'm good, thanks, Del. Thanks for having me back once again. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. Um, stressed after the United Spurs game the other day, to be honest with you, mate. Um, but glad to have the Premier League back, if I'm honest. Big, big results um, at both ends of the table, obviously, so far. So... Just to go off the um, result last night, the um, the City and Burnley game, it's good to see Phil Foden obviously getting his chance there. So how do you kind of see that now? Do you see kind of Foden taking the reins off of Silva or do you feel like it's still going to be a bit more of a process before he really solidifies himself in the City's t- uh, starting team? Well, first of all, I think there's no doubt that Foden is an extremely talented young player and yeah. that's, that's been very apparent and you know, Pep has consistently mm. said that in conferences. I think the kind of paradox that has been quite prevalent is that mm. Guardiola frequently publicises how good he thinks Foden is and how, you know, how promising he is. But equally, his kind of, the allocation of game time that he's given them over the past two seasons doesn't reflect the talk that he yeah. kind of builds around Foden. Because you know, he's largely limited to the, the last 10-15 minutes of games and being brought in as a late sub or these kind of cup appearances, which obviously as a young player you can't guarantee to mm. start. But again, if he is thought of so highly, you'd have to question if he was at a team outside of the Premier League, whether he'd already be getting mm. you know, 30, 40 starts under his belt. I think This is watching... the problem, isn't it, man? You've, mm. you've seen it happen time and time again with English players. And it kind of feels like a false pretense with Foden, doesn't it? Because it's, it kind of feels like for so long it's been like, he's the future of City, and then it's season after season. So I, I am with you on that one. I feel like... It, it kind of makes you look at Sancho, doesn't it? And it's just like, if Foden made that same choice that Sancho did, would Foden be far more progressed now than he is? I think the thing is now, with David Silva clearly highlighting that he's leaving at the end of the season, yeah. and it, it is a massive opportunity for Foden. And mm. given the, the Guardiola's statements after the game last night, he says that you know City don't need to sign anyone to replace David Silva because they have it in Foden. So mm. the main thing to see is whether that will actually be enacted upon. And to see from the start of next season whether Foden is starting in that role directly in place of Silva. I think the challenge mm. at a club the size and prestige of City is that they do have a lot of depth. They've naturally yeah. made a lot of investment in key areas and there's always going to be high competition for places. And City are the kind of club that normally when they're replacing a player, they, they kind of have a blank check to do so. Yeah. I think perhaps something that could be linked to the fact that Foden will be replacing Silva is you know the financial fair play questions and obviously the yeah. ongoing situation with that and how that could develop. So it could almost be two birds, one stone for Pep in terms of A, making sure they're not kind of overly spending, but also giving that kind of younger talent a chance. Because mm. I think there's a, real, there's a real risk that if Foden doesn't get the game time next season, that, that he could end up wanting to leave, which, which would be a massive shame because you always want to see a player that's kind of grown up supporting the club, is local and has the yeah. ability to compete on that side, remain with that side. But it's always going to be a challenge with big clubs like City as to whether that becomes a reality. Uh, I, I do completely agree with you. And if, if you look at a lot of the teams, even the top sides in the Premier League, even teams that are, are not necessarily associated with bringing you through, such as Chelsea, you've obviously got Mount there, if you look at United, obviously you've got Rashford, then got local guys that have grown up supporting them teams and grown up in that area and grown in the academy. And at City, they kind they don't really have that, do they? they don't, they've they've not got those players where they've been there since young. It's essentially it, it really does show. And I feel like with Foden, I feel like once Foden makes that step up, I feel like that would then kickstart a lot more academy gadgets coming through at City. So it was tough to see, obviously, Garcia get injured after getting his start at the back, and which he's another one in which very, 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 very 
highly rated player, but just seems like he just doesn't get the chance at City. But when you've got, like you said, that blank checkbook, it, are you going to really play a 19, 20, 21-year-old in your team if you can have a 28-year-old established world star? It's mm. Because at the end of the day, we're football fans, Roche, and we don't see football as the business that these owners and these teams are going to because if they're spending 200 million, 300 million every season plus, they're going to want results. And if these young players aren't producing these results, they're going to end up buying. And it is sad to see, like Foden is a big, big one for that in which, it, like I said, it feels like years it's been that he's been referred to as such like a future star. And I remember in the cup final, man of the match, and even yesterday against Burnley, like this like the passes the no look passes like you can tell he's learning under David Silva and I feel like it's evident that Silva's taking him under his wing um, but I feel like next season like we said it's going to be the real I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to say he's going to be the be or end all but I then feel like Foden then starts to ask his own questions in do I have to leave my boyhood club to kind of progress my career what I would say is that up until this point I actually do respect Pep's approach to a certain degree because Mm. he's not throwing him straight into the deep end and playing him yeah. week in week out he is allowing him to learn of those more mm. experienced and very technically gifted players around him mm. you know any centre midfield player that essentially is learning off David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne is naturally going to develop very well and hopefully pick yeah. up habits and kind of tips from those in training um, but equally there's a host of creative players in other positions that are then going to hopefully influence the game for the better and it is very clear and what I noted from his performance particularly against Burnley yesterday is he is very in sync with the rest of that team it's very clear mm. that he isn't just a bit part player in terms of that young profiling he is on the same wavelength as that team he's aware of the runs mm. his teammates are making he's got the vision to pick them out and he's he's very in sync and doesn't look out of place there yeah. so I think that although up until this point it could be questioned I think that like we said the, the next season really will be telling because it's clear and certainly to the, the untrained eye I mean obviously we're not football coaches unfortunately we're not you know we haven't got the same I might be bald but I'm not Pep mate yeah exactly <laughs> I'm not comparing you know we're not comparing our opinions on our podcast to those of Pep Guardiola he yeah. probably knows a thing or two more than we do but I think to, to the untrained eye so to speak it, it certainly looks like he's ready and mm. what strikes me about phone is his hunger his hunger to have an impact it, in the game he, he has a, a confidence and maturity about his game really beyond his years and he always wants to be on the ball um, he also doesn't seem rash in his decision making as you said you know his playmaking his decision making and, mm. and really general play is very positive to see but he doesn't rush you know yeah. he gets the ball and you know a lot of so young calm. players so lot, calm exactly a lot, a lot of young players at this point because mm. they get limited first team appearances when they do get the chance they, they try to do too much a lot of the time you know do they you often try to take sorry, on players just... in difficult areas you know they're trying to prove themselves as Foden's calm you know mm. he'll happily knock it back if he needs to he'll keep the rhythm maintain that possession based game that Pep wants and have that kind of that, that quality of decision making to be incisive when the time is right which again with his two goals and assist display really kind of really display that mm. uh, just just on that subject so do, do you feel like with Foden do you feel like he's now looking and learning from players like Silva? So obviously you look at Foden and when when he originally say arrived on the scene or he started to get a bit of traction about him, it was he was very much an attacking midfielder, could even play as a second striker or as a winger. And you see it time and time again when Pep has these talented wingers, he essentially moulds them into just great central midfielders. Um, you've seen it with Bernardo Silva. Um, and you've seen it with Foden in which he was always such an attacking player and he was always really far up the pitch. Whereas learning under players like Silva and De Bruyne, it's going to help his attacking game, but it's also going to 
enable him to kind of drop back a bit and see a lot more of the ball. And you saw that last night with, like you said, those assists and the goals. And it's it's just like, it's exciting time. And it's not just exciting for City, man. It's exciting for England as well. Like, we've got a good few youngsters that have really stepped up this season. Like, the thing that I'll say with Foden and that confidence, there's only there's not many young players you can say that really have that confidence. And like you said, it's like, when they do get this chance, they do try and do too much, essentially. But then it, it's tough because you then the question kind of be starts to be raised. It's like, are they doing it to kind of prove a point and to kind of make themselves stand out? Because you've seen it time and time again, not just English players, but youth players from all across the world in which they get their chance and they're, they're looked at as like a future star and they kind of fall off. But with Foden, it just seems like he's he hasn't fallen off at all yet, has he? It's just like he keeps progressing. But like we said, over the next, say, 12 months is really going to be telling for him. And it's evident. It's evident. You can see it. The talent's there. The ability's there. The hunger's there. It's just whether that can then now be transitioned into the full package, essentially. I think just, just touching upon that, you talk about the... Uh, how Petros and Mole mm. players and make them more generally footballing intelligent rather yeah. than fixated upon a single position. You mm. think that, that was incredibly evident with the Barcelona side when you had yeah. the, essentially the, the front five or six players were, could all essentially interlink and mm. and really drift into all areas of the pitch and have that same principle and philosophy because their, their general footballing intelligence and understanding of the roles in that system was so ingrained into yeah. them that they weren't just fixated upon to their, their, their normal positions. You know, they had that ability to drift mm. between and, and really rotate around, which causes a lot of problems to defenders. That's really similar to what you're seeing at City now. So, mm. you know, We've done you, it at Bayern as well, man. We've done it yeah. at Bayern as well. We turned Lahm into a central midfielder. Like Lahm was arguably one of the best fullbacks in the world for a decade, if not longer. And he turned him into a central midfielder and essentially prolonged the guy's career. Like as much as we can say, obviously Liverpool have gone and won that league this year because it's going to happen. You can never take away what Pep has done at City and at all the teams he's been at. He he goes in and it's from day one. He installs his way of everything from the training ground up. I was doing coaching over the summer um, with a team and we did a tour of City Stadium. As much as it was painful for me to do as a United fan. Um, <laughs> You saw that the way Pep installs everything, he has a picture of everyone's family. So it'll be David Silver's got a picture of his family and so on. Everyone has one. And what he does is there's a screen and before the guys walk out into the tunnel, they all have to look at that wall of all of their families and like remember why you're here and remember why you're playing football. So stuff like that, it just makes you respect the guy even more, doesn't it? Uh, this is the thing, a football club and success at a football club it's so much more than just the playing side of things mm. and the match tactics. You know, if you really want to get players to buy into what you're doing, you need to affect cultural change. Like you say, you need managers who respect the staff. They build relationships within the staff and the players. There's a real respect ingrained across the club mm. that no one is above any other part of that system. You know, whether that be from the kitchen staff all the way up to the kind of the players and the managers. You know, you need to have that kind of one club mentality whereby people buy into what they do. And obviously the family ethics, which I've outlined there, really are a strong part of that. You know, it's about, you know, one of the dangers with the, the sheer scale of the modern professional game and the money involved is it, it can become too corporate and you can become mm. detached from the real values behind and underpinning football. And particularly those of football fans, you know, the importance of mm. football so that it remains relatable to the fans. And, you know, seeing that, that you know, the importance of the family ethic, the, the, the time that players take to actually talk to fans and engage with fans on social media, 
these all can't be overlooked in their importance because without that connection, that relatability and that feeling that it is your club and your players that represent you, then you'd lose a massive mm. aspect of football. And with that, you know, a sense of the following would really diminish. Yeah. It's funny you should say that, Roach. This is a conversation which I've had with Ed and a few of the other guys before um, and any sort of friends that obviously follow the game to the level that we do. Um, going on to social media or media outlets as a whole, it's something that I look at and I feel like social media can be used as a very, very powerful tool. I feel like media outlets can be used for positive. The way in which I see the media playing things at the moment, they always look towards the corporate side. And if you look at it, especially with the Newcastle takeover, like you, I've seen various podcasts go on about the Newcastle takeover and it just seems like the media kind of, they play on that a lot more and then they play on injuries and like with the Vertonghen situation, like obviously Ryan Fraser, he's walked away. He said he doesn't, he, he's not happy to play for Bournemouth anymore. That's fine. We spoke about it on a couple of podcasts already. Some people agree, some people don't. With Vertonghen, they were kind of like, Vertonghen's refused to play. Before anything's said, before Vertonghen himself, before any representative, before Spurs have said anything, they come out and say that. And then a day later, he signs a contract to play through to the end of the current season. And it's like, right, so you guys have got all of these sources. Um, you're portraying a player as badly in his 30s. And he's coming to the end of his career. He's, he's into his 30s now. And he's looking at getting a big move to Italy after, I believe. That's what, the, um, that's what a lot of outlets are saying. But then don't... It's fair enough to obviously put him forward and say, oh, he's linked with a move to Inter Milan, AC Milan, etc. But to then say he's refused to play and then pretty much then release an article not long after saying that he signed a new contract. It's just like they were kind of trying to paint him as a bad person and then completely forgot they were trying to do so. That's why for me, I, I, I really don't like the way the media outlets are dealing with this contract situation at the moment. So on that, first of all, I think it's important to note that it really does depend upon the media outlet mm. and it's important not to group and bracket yeah, the entire exactly. kind of range of newspapers, kind of online journalism and podcasts into the same boat. Because by the very virtue that they all have kind of different views, mm. I think kind of the, the area that you're focusing upon is true in terms of certain papers that, you know, there, there is unfortunately a massive market and appetite mm. for these kinds of stories. And really, it's the competitive nature of English sports journalism in these specific examples yeah. that, you know, really drives for these stories. So what you're finding is there'll be a loose evidence base or a loose trail of a story. And before you know it really a good practice in journalism is to fully flesh out the story speak to multiple sources mm. make sure there's real validity in what's being said if you're looking at the integrity of the story unfortunately now due to the competitive nature combined with this is that they a they want to get the stories out as quickly as possible so that yeah. they're the paper to break the story but also they know that the area that appeals to a lot of people mm. is almost the drama and the uncertainty yeah. rather than getting a, a valid account from the footballer the logic behind it and you know, speaking to the clubs officially, that you know they get you know whatever sources they're able to get their hands on with enough validity of their own liking, and then they go ahead with the story because they know that will stir up rumours, it mm. will engage people, and fundamentally it will become a talking point. And as soon as it becomes a talking point, it has become in their eyes a successful story. And I think it's very particular to you know certain English media outlets that this happens. And you know, mm. it, it, you know that there is a massive. I mean, from our perspective, there's a massive distrust of the media in general in terms of the, this coverage. You see, you saw it with Fergie, yeah. didn't you? Obviously, Fergie mm. refused to speak to the BBC. But but then the problem with things like that is then you've got the FA then coming out and kind of making it sort of compulsory that managers and staff and clubs are speaking to these outlets. That well, is, it's like 
Well, to be honest, it's 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 important that they do, and mm. I respect the FA and that approach that mm. you know that people should have the access to coverage, and it's important that you know messages are relayed from the teams, communication is made from the teams yeah. and the clubs, and that people have that access. I think is really important for when we talk about the culture, the buying in, the understanding. Yeah. I definitely think that if certain media outlets continue to publish stories that aren't true but you know aren't valid and really cause clubs and fans more detriment then there should be implications for that and i think there needs to be more in place mm. in terms of whether it's the fa whether you know the pfa do some work on this or that there's some governing mm. bodies that do some work to ensure that media outlets are held accountable for false reporting yeah. you know for example if there's a certain couple of had instance with there's a strikes rule whereby you know they do have a certain amount of a ban period from having content or coverage with that club Oh, you know, I think yeah, it should man. be allocated on a trusting basis at the start hmm. and giving the, the main media outlets the equality and equity of opportunity. And then should that then that trust then be disproved or you know there have been any detrimental content without backing or evidence, because it's important to know yeah. that if there is a detrimental story with weight to it, then that needs to equally be be publicised and the clubs need to be held accountable for that too. Yeah. But you know, in, in, in media outlets need to prove that they are there to genuinely cover the sports in the integral mm. way and you know, really their support and enable the sporting experience rather than unfortunately a handful of media outlets that go out there to you know really genuinely go out with the intent to cause more damage than good on mm. the basis of selling that, that yeah. news so i think it's important that there is that regulation there but equally you know clubs clubs do have that access to the media and media do get that opportunity to publicize what is going on yeah i, I do agree with you Roche, and it, it is very apparent that some of these outlets they're obviously that like you said they're there to do more damage than good and it, it is difficult because obviously they have a job to do and they want to break the the big story and with journalism it, it is very difficult because you you kind of want to fish around for a bit more of a story and you you want to look into things a bit more and see kind of what your options are so it's it's difficult for them but when you're there tarnishing players images like i feel like there's been so many times where they they put these um articles about this footballer's done this but we can't name him and I feel like when they do things like that, it makes so much more of a build-up that the story itself doesn't matter. What the footballer's done doesn't matter. It's more They make it more about the club and the player and tarnishing their images. And it's just mm. like, I understand if a player does something wrong, like with the Kyle Walker situation and um, a few other players kind of breaking lockdown. And I feel like those should be punished individually. But to tarnish the images of clubs, it's like a player plays for a club. If he does something wrong, he's going to be fined or punished by his club. Why then, if they're doing things from their part, it then it doesn't make sense to then tarnish them even more? Because like you said, once they do that damage, it's, it is very hard to build back up after Roche, isn't it? It's just like, if um, do you remember the whole Ferdinand thing? And he spoke about it recently on a podcast and when he uh, missed the drugs test. Mm. They were, there wasn't anything about him missing a drugs test. He was then referred to as a doping guy and a guy that took drugs. And it wasn't that he was ever actually found with anything or he even took um, hair follicle tests afterwards to prove that he hadn't taken drugs. He missed a drugs test, but he was then referred to as a junkie and a doper and things like that. And it's just like, again, that's breaking a story that isn't true. They're taking the information that they've got and they are literally running as far as they can go with it. And then there is so many more instances year after year, month after month, week after week, man, where we're looking at it and we're saying these media outlets, not all of them, like we said, because there's some that, obviously there's some media outlets that have helped and they do things with charities and fundraising and there's a lot of media outlets out there that I know Rashford 
has got some stick from time to time, but there's some media outlets out there with the great work in which he's done have really got behind him. So, like you said, it's not all of them, but the ones that have a negative impact really do have such a negative impact. I think just to touch upon that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about how, hmm. yeah, in particular regards to English sports journalism, how this is an issue. Yeah. Because it, it really does depend upon the nation and their attitude to kind of press coverage. Yeah. You know, for example, you know, you feel like England really, you know, unfortunately, more often than not, is more detrimental to the clubs. Whereas, right? hmm. you know, you look at the the German press, they're generally very supportive of their clubs, you know, yeah. which, which fits in with that ethos of genuinely, I think, I think Germany is just a brilliant football model. Hmm. You know, but, you know, Great. the press are very supportive. They try to back their players and their clubs where possible. Hmm. Um, in keeping or how the clubs are generally very supportive of their players, you know, giving them opportunities and, you know, yeah. try and build that ethos. And they place the fans at the heart of things, which is very mm. important. And that's when I talk about how, you know, it's important that the media allows that access. Because then if you get that relationship between the club, the fans, the players, the media, and it's harmonious, then it's only going to build the profile positively mm. of the sport as a whole. And, you know, really set that example for young people to become engaged with the sport. Yeah. You know, if, you know, if you look at yourself as a young person now, a young person starts getting into football, for example, and they go through the various sources, and they start reading up around football, as you'd like, they, mm. as you'd like to think they would. If mm. they start reading certain newspapers and the stories involved, they're going to get a very negative image of what sport mm. is about, and, and especially for the profile of footballers, mm. which, which, which is extremely sad to see in a country mm. you know, where we really should be promoting the positives of the sport, mm. especially in such a time of difficulty as we're in at the moment with, with the ongoing coronavirus situation. Mm. Sport should really be a beacon and a light mm. enable for people to get involved and start to express that cultural experience yeah. that they've missed for so long and now that the season's back there's definitely although obviously it's in a completely different format there is that buzz and you know there mm. have been some positive elements of the media that have contributed yeah. towards that i know you obviously you talk about rashford as the main example mm. you know what marcus rashford has done has been absolutely phenomenal for a footballer yeah. you know he's, he's he's stepped out of the realms of expectation and really gone that extra yard in trying to make yeah. change based upon his own negative experiences as a youngster and you know really stood up to you know mm. government and their policy which i think is astounding you know and you know we talk about media as the famous as podcasts and you know mm. we talked about some of the negative elements but now more than ever it is imperative that footballers recognize that they do have a platform and they use this media exposure and constant thriving for stories for good, which in which case, you know, Rashford has absolutely excelled. You know, you could argue that Rashford has done more in the last couple of weeks than a leader of the opposition in many respects. But, you know, yeah. this isn't a political podcast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's absolutely brilliant to see. And I think it's a big debate again which is very commonplace in media is that should footballers be doing more in terms of community should they be contributing a lot more of their wages to to different projects and mm. really be using their platform for more and i think it's very difficult to use a kind of general statement on that yeah. i think the important thing is that each football each footballer will have causes that are close to them and a lot of the time they don't choose to publicize the work that they do because yeah. char charitable fundraising for example is a very personal thing and it's not just about making public statements about that a lot of people mm. and quite rightly so choose to do, do their charitable fundraising uh, quietly because mm. the cause is important to them and it's not about them and the profile of them exactly. donating that money it's about them genuinely wanting to to kind of benefit that cause so I think there is a lot of work by footballers that the media don't cover because the footballers quite rightly don't publicise that yeah. but then you know that quite a lot of them will then like you say potentially get slandered for not doing so when in fact they're doing a lot more than, than perhaps has realised so there is you know there, there, are, there are positives to the media and again I think, I think Rashford really does need commending for what he's doing but I noticed you, you also touched upon the negative side of things. Yeah. And fundamentally, as much as we're saying about the protection of fo footballers, 
it is important that equally they are held to account when they yeah. do things that aren't in keeping with your mm. public expectation. Yeah. That they do things that are fundamentally against club rules, you know, with coronavirus against government rules. And as much as we don't want to see them impacted negatively when it's not required, I think footballers do need to be held, do need to be held account when they do things wrong. Yeah. You know, like you talked about Kyle Walker, for example. You know, mm, it's yeah. you know, essentially there's no excuse for his behaviour. You know, essentially holding a player holding of his experience during, as well. Like he's an he international defender who has been you know capped upwards of forty, fifty times. You know, he's a role model to so many young people out there, and you know to be going off to be so openly violating lockdown rules after speaking about making, the safety measures people exactly. have to take as well. You know, it's very hypocritical, and that is where mm. the trust starts to decrease between fans and players and. He really needs now to go out of his way to prove that he can set a positive example, you know, both with his performances on the pitch and his behaviour off it. Yeah. You know, on that, you know, players like Jack Grealish, uh, you know, are very divisive figures. Jack Grealish this season is proving his quality as a player and the maturity mm. about his game and captaincy, you know, in that yeah. he's almost single-handedly kept Villa in the fight for survival and their push for really trying to stay in the league. Hmm. But, you know, as much as people say he's matured as a player and he's got this leadership role on the pitch and it's very clear his impact on that, on that pitch role, you know, it's very disappointing to see, you know, when, when stories do keep circulating about his private life, private life or what seems to be repeat offences, mm. which could be easily avoided. Now, just linking into our point earlier, I think it's important that we don't go too far into it because, again, we need to see the validity of the sources and, you know, make sure that the papers genuinely are covering the story the right way. Yeah. But it does, you know, there is no smoke without fire and it does seem to be a repeated case that he's, you know, doing the, these really easily removable offences that really do tarnish his image. Mm. You know, and, and it's sad to see when you've got a player of his ability that, that clearly loves the club he plays for and puts in some yes. very important performances for them. It is sad to see, but obviously it's difficult because you see when, even when players do positive things, obviously, mm. um, the COVID-19 has obviously been something huge and something that's huge around the world and something which Boots of TV as a whole we do support is the Black Lives Matter movement. And the thing in which you've seen, like, and I've really enjoyed is when there was images of Tyrone Mings at mm. the protest, right? Um, now, Aston Villa, as a club, have two choices at this point, right? They could have come out and said, we don't want any involvement, we allow Tyrone to do what he wants to do, but we're not going to be looking at it. They came out and supported their player. And that, for me, shows, again, we were speaking about football clubs being a family and that togetherness. And when someone is fighting, and like these players, that are obviously they've got such a big image, and they've got such exposure and they can be using those images for something great like Rashford done. And when, when Mings is going to these protests to kind of support something, he was then, some outlets were like, oh, Tyrone Mings is at a Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah, he is. He's fighting for something he believes in. And when players are doing these positive things, I feel like they should be, they shouldn't be pulled down. They should almost be glorified more. But you see it time and time again when, even when these players do good things, it's like, the media still tries to knock them down. But then, some just to uh, a note to finish up on it, was the, obviously the Burnley and City game, the banner that went across, absolutely disgusting. Like, there is no space for that in football. And the thing in which I found uncomfortable and way in which they interviewed Ben Mead minutes later, um, after the game, and what a commitment. And the way in which he, he came out and he said, look, we do not condemn this at this club. He came out and he spoke about it on the spot. He wouldn't have had obviously had anything prepared or. And when you put a player on the spot like that, 
that's when the truth really shines and you could see that he was disgusted and it was almost an embarrassment for the club and when like we're seeing black lives matter across all the football shirts seeing such solidarity around the game it's like it's good to see that as much as we say fans and teams are obviously a collective that when fans or players within clubs there needs to be that distance when when fans obviously are doing things that sh don't have a space in football like racism they are booted out of the game they're not allowed to go to games anymore but then when these players like you said are doing things wrong they should be held accountable but when they do things right i feel like i feel like it's almost like oh yeah but he's a millionaire it, needs so it doesn't be, matter it needs to be celebrated yeah exactly i feel like when when the bad is bad it should be they should be ridiculed but then when the good is good it needs to be celebrated because like we said you've got a lot of young players like if we're talking when we were growing up watching football the money's nowhere near the same it was massive then and it's even bigger now and like they there's all this funding that goes around football and then sometimes it's just like the fans are such a big part of that and they bring in such a huge amount of money to a club but it gets to the point where it's just like are some fans not welcome at games and that's that that's where you can't where does the line kind of get drawn it's just like do, it, do we ban these fans um but then it's just like you ban these fans if they do things wrong but then some of these players they kind of get to walk freely it's just there needs to be a level level playing field across the sport i believe absolutely just just to pick up on a few points that you mentioned if yeah that's okay yeah, that's cool, so first of all on the black lives matter movement you know it's absolutely imperative that regardless of what we said this is viewed as an exceptional circumstance mm. you know obviously social distancing needs to be maintained and you know throughout day life is important that people do still listen to government restrictions because yeah. fundamentally we want people to be safe mm. however black lives matter is such an imperative movement and needs to build upon the momentum and the public eye that we are finally seeing mm. of people engaging with the topic looking to educate themselves and change yeah that there has to be an understanding of that I think, you know, I absolutely commend everyone who has been become involved with the Black Lives Matter movement, who has been actively on the forefront trying to promote the cause and fight for equity, equality and the right of the individual to be viewed as an individual and to be you know really justified on the merit of, the, of their their nature mm. and i think that, that that again we talked earlier about the importance of footballers starting to use the platform available to them for social change mm. and you know th there is no time like the present and no greater opportunity than now mm. than to seize that and to really make a difference you know from the black lives matters being printed on the shirts to people celebrating goals by you know showing solidarity and taking the knee i think i think is a brilliant example mm. of how this platform can be used to the millions of people watching at home mm. and you know the Tyrone Ming's appearance at you know the Black Lives Matter rally has been really divisive. There have been a lot of people saying, you know, he's setting a terrible example to children. You know, people have to be maintaining social distancing. He has no regard for others around him, and unfortunately, they 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 can be more wrong in terms of saying that he has no regard for others around him because hmm. he is fundamentally fighting for a cause that is so important and so important to him personally yeah. that he is actually willing to jeopardise his life because change needs to happen. You know, we've got this unique opportunity now mm. for people to really make that change and to educate themselves. And it's so clear that he's doing it for the right reasons as opposed to the wrong reasons which he's being slandered for. And, you know, I, you know it's, it's, it's fundamentally, you know, I am a white man from privilege and I can't possibly begin to understand what some people are experiencing right now. Mm. But what I can recognise is that people such as Tyra Minks have recognised the opportunity that they have to make that change and, the, and to accept the fact that the spotlight will be on him, which mm. is why he's doing what he's doing, raising the profile and really trying to you know, impact people in a positive way. 
that can make that long-lasting cultural yeah. change that doesn't happen overnight. And I, I, I could not be more appreciative of footballers that are trying to take this platform to communicate that. You know, players like Raheem Sterling mm. that actively look to promote the message and have been trying, to, you know, ever since he's become a footballer in the spotlight, he's been pr promoting the issues of racial yeah. injustice and trying to make positive change based upon that. And, you know, I think that the, the steps that some of the, some of the steps of Premier League have taken have been absolutely brilliant yeah. in that, in terms of recognising that. Just quickly, I appreciate we've kind of running low on time. That's what I'm touching upon, touching upon the, the White Lives Matter banner displayed by that Burnley fan. Mm. It, it's just, you know, I'm struggling to put it into kind of politically correct words, to be honest, but it's mm. just absolutely shameful and mm. astonishing to see that yeah. someone could take something so badly in terms of trying to make a statement like that when it's so clear that the theme yeah. and the views of the league, the players, the coaching staff and everyone involved with football at the moment is trying to promote a positive image about the importance yeah. of this movement and to so outwardly come out and do something so detrimental and then actually owning up to the fact he'd done it and saying that he couldn't care less if he's offended anyone. It's that, just that's, a, sad, it's... a sad indication that fundamentally racism does still exist in the UK. Yeah. Um, people are naive to think that it doesn't and to ignore it. And the important thing that we need to do across you know, the whole country is to realise this and to start taking measures and steps to try and make that cultural change. It's not something that happens overnight, but with platforms such as the one taken by footballers, they can begin to appeal to a lot more people that might not have listened. Yeah. And that, that is where, you know, sport is fundamentally is a cultural expression of people at that moment of time. It's where people devote a lot of their life outside of the working world. You know, and it is absolutely imperative that football is utilised for the best, better in order to, to, in order to make that. Hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, you get a lot of people who argue that, you know, politics doesn't have a place in football. And to some extent, yes, politics doesn't have a place in football. But, mm. you know, racism isn't politics. Racism is fundamentally about being detrimental to human rights mm. and making sure that people are treated as equals. And elite level sport in the modern day should be about showing that it doesn't matter about your background, your ethnicity, your racial religion. People come together for the common good and show that as a platform to set the example yeah. to young people. And I really hope that this, this doesn't just last as a few weeks. I, I really hope that this is fundamentally mm. something that is ingrained in football for the future um, so that our message can be translated down. Yeah. Uh, Roche, mate, I couldn't have put it better myself. Like, If we look at Ster Sterling as a great example, he's been ridiculed. Um, again, go, sorry to go back to the media outlets, but he was ridiculed for year after year after year after year after year. It's just like the guy would get ridiculed for shopping in Primark. Like, what? And then seeing the way in which a legend such as Ian Wright, like I grew up watching Ian Wright and he's not the biggest guy and I grew up playing up front. So seeing that he's not a huge guy and that's right, he was sort of, even being an Arsenal player was one of my idols growing up. And to see the way in which people speak to him online, the messages he gets is absolutely disgusting, mate. Like, nothing nothing like, short of vile. Yeah, exactly. And then again, it just kind of, it goes back to it where it's like, Uneducation, like if you if you are if you, if you're not educated on a subject, Roger, it, it would be like me going to speak about marine biology, mate. I do not know marine biology, but if I wanted to learn or I felt like I didn't have the knowledge, I wouldn't speak on it. I'd ask about it. But I feel ask like that's questions. yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like that's that's what needs to happen. And like we said, use this platform for something positive. And when something is used for something positive in that way, I feel like it will have a far far greater positive outcome and and just again on the Ian Wright situation and something that I think he'd done which was really great he didn't reply to the guy he wasn't horrible he didn't reply with any sort of malice or he didn't reply threatening in any way he took a screenshot and he publicly exposed the guy 
And most so some people, they might look at that and say, yeah, don't really agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. But for me, it would be more, he should be looked at as a hero for that because time and time again, he's got those messages. It's no secret and he has made no secret of that. But, but when, when they're in that, it shows the, the importance of the movement now. The mm. difference between now and even a few months, years ago, yeah. is that because of the momentum that we have with this movement and the opportunity, he doesn't feel the need to keep those messages hidden anymore. Mm. He has the confidence to promote that on a social media platform where six months ago, he may well have just suffered in silence and received that abuse without mm. speaking up. And it, unfortunately, there are going to be continuous instances of the ignorance of people where they feel yeah. it's acceptable to post such abuse. But by making it more publicly aware of the abuse that people go through and having that initial that initial pain of having to show it, but educating people that it is still real, that it is still happening, and yeah. that no matter what people say, it is still there, then we can begin to adapt and change and look to progress to the basis where this, you know, some people still don't see this as acceptable and we can, you know, really move on from it. And, you know, I've read Ian Wright's autobiography and he, he's a fantastic Great character. Book. Great book. You know, he's really, he has really come from a difficult situation younger he's experienced a lot of issues he's mm. you know come from a deprived area he's experienced racism on a regular basis and he's come through and really made something of himself you know being a professional footballer he's widely revered, revered as a brilliant person a really entertaining person including his kind of career in television post football yeah and again we talk about platforms and he's he's really despite the personal suffering he's experienced he's using the platform uh, highlighting his own suffering to educate people and to help move this forward and yeah. to really try and get some momentum in making cultural change and you know people like Ian Wright really really are role models for everyone around him and you know people speak so highly of him for a reason yeah so you know I think you're absolutely yeah. right in the Ian Wright Bro, is, she's, you know, he, he's from at. the same local area as me um, and mm. I'll tell you a story about Ian Wright I was about three four years old I was playing in my front garden playing football his auntie used to live two do doors down from me he brought, and when I mean the entire street, I mean the entire street and ice cream. Like, pulled up in his car, bought the entire street and ice cream, played football with kids, yeah? He didn't need to do that. He could have just gone into his auntie's house, but that shows the sort of person he is. You still see him now driving around my local area on his bike. He goes into the same barbershop, same shops he always would because of where he's come from to where he is now. He respects his own progression and the hustle he had to make. And that is just what, for me is being a footballer and coming from nothing. And I'm not saying Rashford's going to turn into Ian Wright in the sense of like, he's going to progress and do the same sort of things. What I'm saying is where you're, when you've got people that have come from a struggle, they're so relatable to their areas that they've got everyone behind them. And they're now, like you said, Ian Wright has had that platform. He's gone from Dulwich Hamlet to Crystal Palace to Arsenal. And like, that's a route from essentially non-league all the way to Premier League. And becoming one of the greatest Premier League strikers in history and it's just like you you look at it and you just have to take your hat off to the guy and say look when you're using a platform to such good it like I said it, it can only have a positive outcome and when you've got players like Wright you've got players like Rashford players like Ming standing up like we said they should be celebrated they shouldn't be ridiculed for what they're doing so just on that quickly mm. you know quite simply through the actions of players like Mings of Rashford mm. of Wright 
if their actions and the way they approach things inspire just one more person there's to a difference there, being made to change it? their opinion to educate themselves and to realize and accept they have done wrong in the past you know they haven't had a perfect approach but that they're willing to now learn and change as a result then it is that the message put out by those players is absolutely justified because hmm. then all it takes is that one person to then go and make change to other people and then yeah. you know if you have that across a consistent base then there will be widespread cultural change so you know it's now more important than ever that people have that confidence to speak out and have that you know that confidence to realize that they haven't been they haven't been perfect in the past they may have had views that either to their knowledge or not have been wrong mm. but they you know they're willing to make that change and the people are there to support them and the information is available for people to be able to make that change yeah. and that they shouldn't be afraid to do so Rose, like we said man like we can go over the subject of racism mm. in football time and time again uh, just to let all of our fans know there is going to be a special episode based around racism in football which Roche I'd love to get you involved in man um, and just so you guys um, know Roche actually works at a university which I said before and he does a lot of work around varsity and a lot of other sports as well so Roche he might be someone that's come from privilege but he's probably seen it firsthand, and he's been someone who's been involved in football for a number of years so it is great to see him with yours you're standing up and you're speaking out and I feel like that's what everyone needs to do and we're using our platform to kind of spread a bit more knowledge about it and we'll always do what we can but it's about everyone else doing their but if everyone does their tiny part it then builds to the bigger thing doesn't it and it's essentially like the butterfly effect if by the actions of those footballers if then one person's views change that could then knock on effect another person and so on and so forth so Roche, I think that is a great place to wrap it up for today, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always, to pick your brain on some of these subjects we haven't even spoken about before. So it's obviously good to speak about things that um, we're not expecting to speak about always. Absolutely. And like I said, I really appreciate having me on, Del. And as I said, I'd absolutely love to be involved in any kind of future podcasts surrounding racism and football. Because, you know, yeah. I think it's important that, you know, we, we use, you know, a platform such as Boots TV all the way up to the top. You know, any platform that people have should be utilised to discuss the topic. Exactly, man. Well, thank you very much again, Roche, uh, and I'll catch you soon. Thanks very much, guys, and remember to check our link tree in our description to check out any of our other socials. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Cheers, man.